welcome to the Professional Brewers Podcast, sponsored by Grunville Meadery and hosted by me, Ricky the Mead Maker. This show is for brewers of all kinds, anyone looking to get into brewing professionally, folks who want to peek behind the scenes at their favorite brewery, or merely the brew curious. Whether you're an old hand in the industry or you're just starting your professional brewing journey, we hope this show helps you become a better, more profitable, happier brewer. If you find this show helpful or just enjoy listening to my dulcet tones, please consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash professional brewers podcast. There's also exclusive content over there as well as the opportunity to ask questions of upcoming guests. On this week's show, I talked to Stuart Timmons from Feral Distributing in Vermont. We have a great chat about what a distributor is looking for in a brand and also what a brewery should look for in a distributor. We then discuss the all-important question of how a brewery knows when it's time to look for help in distribution. And now, without further ado, Stuart from Feral Distributing. Stuart Timmons, welcome to the show. Ricky the Mead Maker, it's great to be with you today. So you work at Feral Distributing, and... I want a little bit of a background about you, how you came to the company. But first, can you tell us about the company, your size, and what the distribution scene in your region looks like? Sure. Yeah, Feral Distributing was actually the first alcohol distributor after Prohibition in Vermont. So moving into our 90th year this December. Uh, so quite, quite a long run. Uh, we're also into our fourth generation of family ownership. So we're a family-owned and run uh, business, happy to say that. And we are Vermont-based only, so only do business within the borders of Vermont. That's not to say that we don't represent products from outside the state. We've got a pretty extensive uh, catalog of beer, wine, uh, some hard seltzers now with the uh, introduction of ready-to-drink cocktails, as well as a growing beverage and snack portfolio so mm. wouldn't have seen us uh selling snacks such as chips and popcorn when i started uh with the company in 2006 but that's the direction that some some segments have gone and it ends up being a, a nice little add-on for us when we're out there in the market working with our our retailers that we sell to wonderful so you mentioned you started in 2006 that's right yeah i came to uh feral distributing uh, originally as a uh, fine wine-focused salesperson, came from the, the restaurant business where I'd worked uh, back of the house and front of the house for over a decade. Uh, did a lot of uh, French cooking uh, in my in my days in the kitchen, which I enjoyed, and got into wine, the uh, food and wine pairing opportunities with uh, special dinners and, and different things like that. So it was sort of a natural progression as I felt like I was aging out of the restaurant industry a little bit and wanted something a little more consistent and, and stable with less late nights. So it's been a good transition. And uh, during my, my time uh, at the company, close to uh, moving on to 18 years or so, I uh, have had a chance to, to move around a little bit and manage a, a specialist sales team, as well as now moved into the position of director of business development and work closely with our marketing department. So with that, a couple of weeks back, I spoke with a much smaller distribution outfit, you know, one of those two brothers in a van operations. Can you give sort of a thumbnail sketch? What kind of roles exist in a distributing company of your size? Because if you want to get into distributing, you guys have 
warehouse managers and forklift operators and people on the street. Just a quick snapshot of a lot of those different roles, what you've done and some of the things that people thinking about the industry might be interested in. Sure. Yeah. You know, uh, at, at the at the root of it all, we're uh, in the uh, the warehousing and distribution business. Uh, sales is a, a major part of that from the the front facing portion of what we do with the customer base that we serve being retailers and restaurateurs. We have two warehouses, one in South Burlington being our main warehouse in the northern part of the state, and then a, a second facility down in Rutland uh, that we, we ship to uh, the, the lower half of the state from. Uh, company-wide, we're at about 320 employees, and, and that's spread uh, you know, relatively evenly between warehouse, drivers, sales, and uh, a pretty robust uh, office uh, personnel that does a lot of the, the back end uh, on supplier and portfolio management. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so to work for Farrell or another large distributor, what do you think some key characteristics, if someone's trying to figure out if this would be a good fit for them? I mean, on your email, you have like nine accolades after your name, Cicero and things like that. What do you think are nice things to come into the industry with? What do you think you learn on the ground? Well, I, I think if you're going to be on the sales side, you have to, first of all, have uh, uh, not only a product knowledge background on, on what you're going to be selling and working with, but also a, a real interest in it. Like, like any, any career you go into, uh, the job's easier if you do have a, a true love and interest for, for what you're doing and the products that you're selling. But then you also need to be able to work with a, a pretty diverse client base. Uh, we've got, you know, in, in Vermont, we're kind of unique where there's still quite a few very small mom and pop country stores that carry a, a wide assortment of items, but uh, may do lower volume than you would find in some other markets where there's not the, the number of independently owned uh, stores like we have here in Vermont. And so when you go into other larger markets outside of Vermont, you're going to see more consolidation with uh, chain-driven retailers, larger restaurants, and, and hotel chains. Where here, we're still focused on uh, working with the smaller mom and pops that want to have a diverse selection of offerings, which we try to provide to them through our, our beer, wine, and non-alcoholic portfolio. But then we do, at the same time, have some of those larger chain stores, whether it's a, a grocery chain or a gas uh, convenience store chain, as well as some, some hotels and, and larger restaurant groups. And for your sales force, do you divide people, you know, you do this region or you do chains or is it a, is it a mix? It's a little bit of a mix. We do have a, a chain-driven team that focuses on our grocery channel because that's such a, a specific type of, of need where a lot of the, the, the placements of products and the monthly programming and planning is done on a, a top-tier level. It might be done on a national level or, if not that, on a statewide level with one of our key account managers that calls on that chain. And then uh, when we get outside of the chain team, uh, we have a, a relatively large group of folks in our sales department that, that sell to the independent markets. And so with, with those, that's more of a, geo, a geographical uh, sort of grouping of an account base so that we try to cut down as much as possible on, on drive time to make them as, as efficient as possible. And then those independent sales reps are really the ones that we rely on to have that deep product knowledge. 
so that if uh, they're going into an account, they can speak to our entire portfolio, uh, talk about the hops in a beer, talk about the uh, terroir of a, of a winery in France or California or Spain or Italy, uh, as, as well as at the same time, talk about the, uh, you know, the, the newest energy drink that we're bringing to market. So uh, we, we really rely heavily on uh, product knowledge and uh, also support that with ongoing training and, and education internally. And never forget the importance of how the Bruins are doing. And don't forget about the Bruins. I, I think in my experience of doing work with, uh, with you guys and other distributors, that fluency in remembering whether it's a Red Sox mom and pop or a Yankees mom and pop and not accidentally wearing the wrong shirt. And I've always found that to be a, a key skill that, that your team has developed. Well, that, that's right. And that brings up another point when you think about the sales aspect of what we do. You know, you, you want to have the right products for the right uh, account base, uh, but at the end of the day, as knowledgeable as any of our sales reps are, one of the, the key selling uh, methods and, and is, is about relationship building and, and understanding what that buyer has interest in and uh, getting to know them on a personal level so that they, they have a, a deeper connection to, to you versus just the, the beer of the day that you're bringing to them. Yeah, and I think another thing that distributors are periodically accused of is is unloading. You know, you have that Oktoberfest at the end of the season and just just got to get it out before the holiday stuff comes in and knowing that you might be able to pull that off once, but that's going to shoot you in the foot with that relationship indefinitely. Right. We, we, we're really looking to build long-term relationships. We want that that trust factor uh, that, that hopefully comes along with uh, our, our selling methods and techniques. So that we we do get the the rebuy from the the the, the retailer the next season. So two part question. I'll give them to you in order. A lot of the people listening to this are probably on the brewing side rather than thinking about becoming a distributor. We'll circle back to that. But when you're looking to pick up a new brand, what are you looking for? Because you cover in some way all of the portfolio at this point, right? That's correct. Uh, one of the first things that we want to wrap our heads around or our, our hands around and uh, is, is what, what the product is, what their uh, desire is in the marketplace, where they want to be placed, do they want to be in grocery and uh, chains, do they want to be sold hand, you know, hand to hand with uh, the smaller independent markets, uh, and, and then uh, taking a look at the, the quality of the product and making sure that it fits uh, the channel that that producer wants to be in, uh, because you've you've got the higher volume uh, products that are going to be, you know, maybe I don't want to say lower quality, but just more of a mass market type of product, and and those those are customized and and built for specific uh, portions of the marketplace. So you want to make sure that the price and the quality fit the market that the producer is looking to go into. And then from there, you, you need to be relatively subjective on quality when you're thinking about the, the type of product, whether it's a domestic light beer or a, a craft lager. Those are two very different types of beer that are uh, in some degree in the same category, but at the same time, couldn't be further apart. Uh, so we, we want to understand what the, the demographic is that the uh, product is going after and then make sure that it fits that, that niche that we're looking to fill. And then at the same time, uh, can they support 
um, you know, thinking of if you're a smaller craft brewer, right, and you've been doing maybe your own distribution for the last 12 or 18 months, and you're in, I don't know, 85, 95, 100 accounts, uh, and you want to go with a statewide distributor like ourselves, can you supply enough product on day one for us to roll you out statewide? Uh, and, and is that the model that you want to go after? So there's, there's a lot of consideration there. And that was the second part of my question. Besides just the product, what do you look for in support from the, the producer? There's a sort of misconception that you hand your product over to the distributor and then they take care of it from there. Goodbye. But that's very much not the case, as many people have learned the hard way. What are you looking for in the producer beyond just the quality of the product as far as ongoing support? Sure, really, we're looking for a partnership. Uh, you know, we're we're going to be the ones that take their product from from warehouse to uh, to the retailer and ultimately to the consumer. Uh, they they may have done some of that on their own and have quickly realized how unattainable it is to get in front of uh, enough accounts to grow their business to a, a sustainable financial level. And they, like you said, want to just hand it over to us and say, "Here's my product. You go." put it at retail and uh, let me know when you need more product. That type of relationship is only going to last so long because if you really want to be successful in the marketplace, the uh, the supplier partner needs to have uh, some skin in the game as far as being out there talking about their products. And it goes back to the relationship building side of uh, the conversation. Uh, people want to be connected to the products that they're selling. And so having what we refer to as feet on the street from the supplier is, is by far uh, the, the biggest uh, component of, of having a successful relationship between the supplier and the wholesaler. And you've sort of touched on this. How do you think a supplier could figure out when it's time to maybe switch from that self-distribution or front of the house to working with a larger distributor for statewide or even considering a distributor out of state? Right. So one of the things that we actually encourage uh, you know, younger, uh, early producers to do is is to sell direct because that's the best way for them to get direct feedback on their product. Uh, if, if we're just trying to tell them what we hear, they might not take it uh, as seriously as if uh, they're they're being told directly. So they 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 do benefit from I think doing some direct distribution uh, on some level. But uh, Vermont's a relatively challenging state geographically to service. Uh, completely and and on a regular basis, which which we do quite well, but it comes with a pretty high expenditure of manpower, um, and and so that that's really where we can bring that service to uh, a supplier that does want to grow and has a growth plan. So we we expect that number one, they've done their homework, they've they've had their product out in front of the consumer, they've gotten the feedback, they've made any changes that they might need to make uh, from a quality standpoint from a branding and marketing standpoint so that it can be found on the shelf uh, by the consumer or that it's noticeable um, at, at the bar level. And then from there, if uh, they feel that they've got a, a, a competitive product and, and we agree and, and like that product, then we're, we're happy to start the discussion of a, of a partnership and uh, how we can, can grow them and uh, what they want their eventual footprint to be throughout the, the state. Fantastic. So. What would you say the growing edge for, I don't know if you're the largest distributor in Vermont, you're one of the largest, certainly. What does growth look like for a company like yours besides now selling snacks, which is great, I didn't know about? 
Well, I would say, you know, currently, um, flat is the, uh, the new positive. Uh, and when, when you look at certain brands, there's going to be some brands that are up, some brands that are down uh, every year as, as trends grow and change. Uh, right now, the, the consumers are, are definitely shifting their uh, drinking habits in the alcohol industry. There's been a, a huge influx of new product types that didn't exist uh, two, three, four years ago. Uh, the, the seltzer category is one that continues to, to show some growth. And now we've introduced the ready-to-drink cocktails that are spirit-based uh, cocktails. Some of those come in a seltzer style. Some come in more of a traditional cocktail style with higher ABVs. And, and now we're also seeing the uh, introduction and continued uh, growth of some of the newer categories where there are these traditional non-alcoholic beverages that you're starting to see in a hard version. Uh, and, and that's that that's that's been interesting because this it's really just a, a dilution of the overall beverage space. So there you're you're not creating more drinkers, you're not making people be able to consume more alcohol, of course, uh than than is uh you know safe and 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 possible to do. But you're you're making the slices of the pie a little bit smaller. So I think people really need to focus on what they do best. Uh you're a mead maker, right? You're still making mead, making mm-hmm. anything else? Nope, that's it. There you go. So I, I think it's a good conversation. Some people want to chase the flavor of the day or the style of the week and uh, try to, to capitalize on that. But uh, more more offerings is not always the, the right decision uh, to do. So that, that's one of the feedbacks that we give some of our partners is to make sure they're focusing on what they do best and uh, continuing to excel in, in their specific category. Yeah, about two and a half years ago, we started doing strong meads and they were bottled products. And as of now, we're not selling any of them through distribution. It's such a different marketplace. And we fought so hard for our category, the craft mead space. I didn't want to burn the salespeople, to be completely honest with. Well, but this is like that mead that you see in Game of Thrones, which which is great. It's a great space. But if you go into it, you've got to own it. But we've definitely seen that you know, market the the smaller and smaller slices, even with sales being fine, you do get the temptation to, well, I basically have the equipment to make a seltzer and everyone's making a seltzer. And I've rarely seen someone chasing that rabbit and have it end up <laughs> successful. That, that's right. There's, there's very few winners at the top of that uh, pyramid. So you've, you've done a great job because I think early on with your style of meat, it's more of a craft mead like you said versus the stronger wine style mead right and so you've done a couple of things you created sort of a, a or latched on to a new category within the, the mead world as well as created something that is sessionable you can have two or three of your meads where if uh, with the strong meads you mentioned you're going to maybe have a glass right and uh so so i'm sure some of that contributes to the uh, the lack of volume that you've seen in that category as well yeah so we're doing really great online because people know about you know they're buying it for a holiday. And that's another advantage that people in the cider, mead and wine categories have. We have more direct sales avenues than beer does. So if you were to give one piece of advice to someone in, let's just stick with the craft beer space. Right now, it's it's August 2023. What piece of advice would you give to someone in this space? Don't call your Oktoberfest beer Oktoberfest. Call it Marzen. That is such specific advice, and I love it. I uh, I worked on your side for 
quite a while. And winter beers will sell until January 30th in many places. Here in Vermont, I think you could push it to two days before Valentine's Day. But if it says Christmas on it, you're done. You're done. 22nd right. of December. Yep. We, yep. Uh, we're doing a lot of fresh harvested things in our company now. And they get harvested and then they get brewed with. And I wanted to call it spring harvest because that's when it was harvested. And Kelly's like, but it comes out in September. You can't do that. That's right. You have to be very careful when you start putting seasonal labels on a product because uh, you, you can't really change that label once it's on there. The style itself might be more than acceptable to drink year round. But when you start putting uh, a seasonality to it, uh, even if it's, like you said, a winter or a spring or a summer uh, naming, uh, you, you just have to be cautious. So, you know, going back to what style of beer is it? Because uh, because people do enjoy Mars as year round, uh, but you're you're not going to sell an Oktoberfest past uh, October fifteenth. And with the advice category, what is one thing that you wish every new account, whether it was a beer brewer, cider maker, wine? What do you wish they knew before starting their first relationship with a distributor? What do I wish they knew before starting a relationship with a distributor? Well, I think they need to have an understanding that uh, you know the the consumer they're going after they they really shop in two ways. They shop with their eyes and their their pocketbook. So I think those are two of the biggest uh, main things to to consider is what's your presence going to be. Uh, when you're in a sea of quality products, because hopefully by the time they make it to us, they've got a quality product. Uh, you know, we pride ourselves on on having uh, a portfolio full of quality products. So, so that that's not really the struggle is is getting a quality product out there uh, to the retailer, but you've got to get that product to the end consumer, and uh, visibility is is really a, a key factor in that. So. Uh, kind of fine-tuning your marketing, your branding, and uh, having uh, a good following uh, early on, which, again, is a great way to uh, test the market out uh, as you're doing self-distribution if you're a small brewer and seeing what works and, and seeing that firsthand before you sort of pass the ball off to a distributor like ourselves. Yeah, and when you say branding, you mean everything from label design up through social media and direct connections? Completely. Yeah. And and the packaging itself. Right. Because there are options out there uh, in addition to just the, the label itself. So what's that going to look like? How is it going to fit on the shelf? Which which way is it going to be positioned? People don't always think about, you know, it might look great when you see the initial artwork. But if you see it from the, the back of the package, do you still know what it is? Uh, you're you're kind of, you know, putting your trust in not only us as the distributor to put the product in the right location at retail but then the, the retailer is going to touch and move the product as well. And they might not understand what, uh, you know, you want to be the, the, the first thing that the consumer sees. I still compulsively face products wherever I go, but Thank you, you can't, you can't trust. Oh, I do it everywhere. Well, outside of the state of Vermont, just can't trust that another brewer is wandering around your local Wawa. So right. are you ready for the speed round? Let's do it. I had to adjust these questions because you're not a brewer and don't give away any specific brands unless you really want to. What is the worst disaster you had at your time at Feral Distributing? 
Well, I'll never forget one day when I was in a retail store and was putting some wine on the shelf, moving a few bottles around. It was a, a grocery store, so they had some larger format bottles. And I happened to pick up a three liter bottle of red wine and it slipped out of my hand, fell on the hard floor, shattered, and red wine went everywhere. Uh, my shirt, my pants, my socks, my shoes. So that, that was probably one of the, uh, the, the worst disasters I've run into mid work day. So I, I, I took about a half hour and, and went up to a local uh, clothing store and bought a new outfit and just threw everything away that I was wearing. That's fantastic. What would you be doing if you weren't working in distribution? I weren't working in distribution. So I, I mentioned earlier that I came uh, to this industry from, from the restaurant business, and, and I still enjoy cooking. So most likely, I would be doing something in the, the food and beverage industry still. But uh, I've, I've got uh, a deep spot in my heart for Southern barbecue. So might 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 have a barbecue restaurant of sorts. So you've been there for 18 years. What's your favorite product you've gotten to sell? Most challenging, most fun? Well, you know, wine is really where uh, my my passion lies. And so uh, just just having fun selling some of the, the smaller wine producers from around the world, mainly European wines, because to me, they have such a sense of place. And that's really what those wines are all about. And being able to tell a story whether it's about a winemaker or a vineyard or sharing some of the uh, opportunities that I've had to visit some of the wineries and some of what I consider the most beautiful places in the world. So that, that's really some of the more enjoyable sides of uh, what, what I've had an opportunity to do. What keeps you going on really tough days? On really tough days? Well, you know, we, we've got some really close supplier partners like yourself that we work with and getting time to spend in the market with them uh, is always one of the, the pluses because they appreciate the, the time and energy that we give to their brands and having a reciprocal relationship where they're in the market supporting our efforts as well. Uh, those are the types of things that, that give me hope on a hard day that I, I know we've got some strong uh, supplier partners and relationships out there that we can rely on. What's one piece of advice you would give someone who wants to go pro as a distributor? <laughs> well, maybe think twice about it first. Uh, <laughs> just kidding, uh, joking aside, I would say that you, you need to be comfortable, um, you know, dealing with different types of people because every, every buyer that we stand in front of has uh, a different idea of, of what they want to purchase. And, and it's our job to, uh, you know, hopefully convince them that what they want to purchase is, is what we're selling. So you, you have to be pretty uh, agile and, and light on your feet and ready to pivot uh, when, when, when things change. You go home tonight. What are you drinking? Well, it looks like a beautiful, sunny summer afternoon out there. So probably when I go home, I'd like to have something that's going to be cold, crisp, uh, relatively, uh, you know, clean tasting. So I'd probably gravitate towards either a sparkling wine or uh, a lighter bodied white wine. Uh, if I'm going to be on the water, might have uh, even a hard seltzer. If that doesn't you know, make some people cringe, they think about craft and, and fine wine. But you know, we, we drink all types of uh, products. Well, 
Stuart, thank you so much for your time today. You got it. I've enjoyed it, Ricky. Thank you. Yep. Talk to you soon. Take care. My guest today was Stuart Timmons from Feral Distributing. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to professionalbrewers.com for more amazing content to help you on your professional brewing journey. And for exclusive content, as well as the opportunity to ask questions of upcoming guests, please consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash professional brewers podcast. Your support makes this show possible. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.